This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin. And I am joined from Fakatane by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well indeed. You're having computer interesting times today. That's why you sound like you're oh my down the bottom of the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm coughing as well, which doesn't help. But um, yes, I just have got some sort of technical problem and I don't know what it is, so I probably just going to throw my computer out on the lawn <laughs> that will solve that problem and go to the store and buy a new one and what i should tell you what i'm working on today is i'm still working on the diagram version of your thesis but it's getting there oh, i can't wait to see that actually because uh, that, w- that may help me to understand myself better <laughs> i'm working on two different versions of it one of them is sort of a timeline that's trying to show how it jumps backwards and forwards in time and the other one shows the relationships between the actors. And I'm trying, desperately trying to think how to combine those two, but I haven't worked it out. I'm, I'm so excited to see what that looks like. I will be too. And who are we introducing today? It is my great pleasure to introduce Dean Griffiths today. Dean is the manager at the Trade Aid store in Dunedin. And by default, just by being in that role, is a doer of extraordinarily good deeds. Welcome, Dean. It's lovely to have you here today. Kia ora. Thank you for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Kia ora, Dean. Where are you, Dean? Uh, I am currently in my uh, dungeon slash storeroom slash office at the back of the store, which no one really sees. Um, yeah, the heat is off because it's quite noisy, so I'm wrapped up in a scarf to keep warm. Um, yeah, that's where I am at the moment. So we started the show at the start of lockdown, so we've been asking people how their bubble life is, even though that's turned to his turned into history how was your bubble life uh bubble life was i guess a mixed bag i think the first lockdown was um was was good i think we really enjoyed um just reconnecting with the, um, the outdoors we were lucky that we live out at doctor's point near the beach so we were able to go for a lot of walks down to the beach and with no cars around um you know it was just such a pleasure to be able to walk around and you know say hi to people from a distance and um yeah, just to just enjoy nature um, more than we probably would, and and along the way, we um I discovered the uh, the plethora of mushrooms that we have around, and so I became a mushroom enthusiast. So I actually started a hobby from my uh, my first lockdown. <laughs> well, some good has come from it then. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, you know, I mean, the challenge is probably um entertaining our four year old uh, for extended periods of time. Um, but as I say, lucky that we're, we're close to the beach and stuff like that. So things got a bit too hairy and a bit too, um, 
you know, uh, noisy and things, we just um, exit and go for a little wander. And a cool beach to go for a walk on, especially at low tide. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great beach. Yeah, and it's um, yeah, it's a uh, yeah, great beach through the cave. You know, there's, there's, every day is different on the beaches, as you know. So, you know, no two days are the same. So, you know, penguins sometimes, seals sometimes, and um, yeah, interesting driftwood and collectibles. Moira, that's the cave you're admiring in pictures that I took the other day. That looked like an extraordinary place and uh, high on my list of places to visit when I'm next at home in Dunedin. Fantastic. <laughs> so, Dean, after all the lockdown, or during the lockdown, did, was the how did you how did the store operate? Uh, yeah, we were basically closed for, for primarily most of the lockdown until we went into level two, I think it was. Um, we did do a little bit of uh, click and collect um, during that time. I managed the store and, you know, we had the, the you know, F-Boss machine at the front door and um, things like that. Um, but it wasn't really enough for us to warrant doing it, you know, uh, most of the time. I guess as, as an organisation and a business, we were lucky that we had our head office warehouse running, selling all our foodstuffs um, as essential items. So that sort of um, kept the business ticking along, which was... Um, yeah, a bit of a lifesaver in a lot of ways. Um, but primarily, yeah, we just we decided to close and just wait for things to, to settle down and open up when things were um, were able to. And did they return to to normal? Um, yeah, not really. <laughs> to, a, to a degree. Um, I mean, we had I think the first couple of weeks were um, we were really busy. I think just people you know who had who had not had the opportunity to come and shop and say hello, our regular customers wanted to just reconnect with us and things. So, yeah, it was a bit of a boom in the first few weeks, um, particularly we noticed with um, people redecorating their houses, wanting to, you know, um, do up their bedrooms and things. So I don't know how many baskets we sold in the first couple of weeks, but it was a hell of a lot. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have The Cure, A Forest. Why this one? Oh, geez, it's so easy. The Cure is my number one band. Uh, have been for a long time. Long story short, I was a bit of a goth boy back in my um, teenage days um, through later high school and probably a little bit after that. So, um, yeah, I just, you know, memories of discovering, um, you know, that kind of music and discovering The Cure. I can remember uh, with my friend Lawrence lying in my bedroom with two big speakers on either side of us on the floor, putting this, this tape on for the first time and just going, wow, this is, what is this? This is amazing. And, um, yeah, it's stayed that way ever since. I've been lucky enough to see them live and, um, yeah, they've, they've remained my number one for, for all this time.
Then we should take a step back and ask about trade aid. Why trade aid? Well, what is trade aid to start with? And, and then why is trade aid? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, trade aid. So we are we are basically a social enterprise. So we are we're founded in the um, uh, early 70s. Um, and basically we're a, an organisation that works under the Fair Trade banner. So we work with um, small-scale cooperatives, um, and some larger scale cooperatives in the developing countries around the world, some of the poorest countries in the world. Um, and we work on a fair trade system, which basically means um, we work in partnership, um, basically to sell their beautiful handcrafted goods and foods. Um, and we're a non-for-profit, so our profits are, go back to our producers. And um, yeah, we're basically there to um, empower them to take control of their lives, basically. So it's um, not, a, not a hand out, but more of a hand up. And um, it's, a, it's a partnership. And I think that's something we're really proud of. Um, you know, we're really transparent about what we do and and um, people we work with. And, um, yeah, and it's also, I guess it's also storytelling. We want to tell the stories of our producers. We want people to understand that when they buy a product, there is someone at the other end that has made that product and um, connect them with who those other people actually are and uh, make people understand that, you know, you can use your money uh, in a positive way and, um, yeah, and, and help those people who are actually at the other end uh, rather than just buying something that's mass-produced and, um, you know, made in a factory. How are those partnerships, how are those producers faring during the, the pandemic? It must be, a, I, I imagine it's more of a challenge than we've had. Oh, an immense challenge. Um, the sad reality of the pandemic is that we, we lost a few of our producer groups. Um, yeah, you know, we're lucky in New Zealand, you know, we have um, a government that, that supported us and we had, um, you know, uh, wage schemes and things like that to help us through. Um, our producer partners basically don't have, the majority of them don't have any of that sort of support, um, government support. So they really are reliant on themselves and their communities. Um, so, yeah, they really did struggle. Um, it's only probably in the last little while that things have started to come back to some sort of level of normal. Um, you know, some of our producers even struggled just to get raw materials, um, you know, to get petrol, to get things like that that became a scarcity. And then um, the big challenge now is the rising costs of everything. So shipping and all that sort of stuff is impacting on our producers and um, the cost of raw materials. Um, yeah. Um, but the positive side of that, um, I think, is, you know, is the communities and, and just the amazing stories of how much they help each other um, and look after each other and, you know, really um, work through the tough times. Um, they're pretty resilient. They've been through some pretty tough times before, a lot of our producer partners. So um, their resilience really showed through. You talked about the stories. Has the story changed? Has the pandemic uh, changed that story? No, I think the story story always remains the same. I think, yeah, it really is about, um, you know, empowering um, these people to to use the, the skills they have um, as, as farmers and as artisans um, to support themselves, their families and their communities and um, just create a better and more sustain, sustainable and more um, secure future, I guess. Um, you know, they're not dealing on the international market where we're, Prices are fluctuating and they're having to barter with things. You know, we have a set fair price for everything that we pay for them and that's that's negotiated with them. So they're they're part of that conversation. So, um, you know, and as long as we're around, um, you know, they know that we're here to support them and they've got that income coming through. Has the story at the other end, at the receiver of that story, has 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 our expectation of that story changed? I'm thinking that as as our as during the pandemic and the disruption of the last couple of years, it's I think it's changed how we're thinking about our own ourselves and our own culture. Are we wanting to yeah. hear different stories, perhaps? 
Yeah, I think so. I, I think I would agree. I think it's um, you know, having the pandemic and um, sort of, you know, having everyone isolated and, and on their own and um, that that idea of community and what community means and, and what community could be, um, I think became a big talking point, certainly amongst um, my friends in our community. Um, so I think that conversation and that story has changed. Um, and also, you know, the story of, of you know, you know, what, what do we want to um, see in the future? What do we want our communities to be? And you know, what do we want to invest in? Um, you know, what do we want to spend our money on? Um, you know, with a lot of people having less money um, or having, you know, really struggling financially, those choices became um, harder. Um, but then um, I think the, the bounce back from that was, you know, the great community support um, all over New Zealand and all over the world for, you know, people looking after each other and reconnecting and, and realising that, um, you know, um, Go and you actually know your neighbours now. Some people before pandemic maybe didn't know their neighbours, and now um, through helping each other, they've become they've become friends, and you know that sense of community has grown. And um, yeah, I think that's a really really positive story. What got you into that community space, into that social enterprise space? Oh, with Trade Aid. Hmm. Yeah, um, I was really fortunate um, when I was about eighteen at university. I came to a talk by Vi Cottru, who was the founder of Trade Aid, um, and her and her partner had been over to Tibet and had been working with um, Tibetan refugees and came back to New Zealand um, knowing that they made these beautiful carpets and were sort of like, you know, what can we do? We, we don't necessarily want to, um, you know, just give them money. We want we want just, how do we, how do we, how do we do this? And so they basically started up the first sort of Trade Aid enterprise through the Corso shops. Um, and just her story was um, just incredibly inspiring. And so um, it just captivated me. Um, and at the same time, I was also working with the Tibetan community. I was part of Students for Free Tibet. Um, so all those things kind of combined and, um, yeah, I became a volunteer at the store. Uh, and the story from there basically is, um, you know, 25 years later, I'm, I'm still involved and um, I still believe in what we do. And I know that what we do makes a difference. And, um, yeah, I'm really proud of the organisation and um, the work that we do. You must enjoy it. I do, yeah. It's, um, I think one of the um, really cool things about working in the Trade Aid store is that uh, some people will know, but um, some people may not know, that we're primarily staffed by volunteers. Um, so not just, you know, working with our producer partners is, is, you know, really awesome, but it's also working with volunteers over the years, you know, that they come from all ages, all backgrounds, high school students, retirees, working people, um, you know, people who have a more of a sustainable um, bend. Um, yeah, and that's, that's, you know, it's like a big family. And, um you know, people come back um, and visit, you know, all the time who worked in the store and you, someone comes in as a customer and they volunteered and, you know, Whakatane, um, you know, for a few years. And so it's, it's just a big community and a big family. And, um, yeah, that's something that I really enjoy. Dean, I am involved in quite a few different community uh, organisations at the moment and our focus is on impact, 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 impact all the time. And we're no longer just content to say, we are being impactful, we want to measure that impact and actually be able to show that we're making a difference. How is Trade Aid doing that? Oh, yeah, okay. Um, what we do is we have a, um, we're basically in contact with our partners all the time, both through the World Federal Trade Organization and just through our own um, organization. So like our, our crafts people, our food people are talking all the time with our producers um, and, and hearing their stories hearing what's going on, um, what problems there might be, what's working, um, you know, and in terms of impact, um, they tell us, you know, what the impact is. And, um, 
you know, and, and so it's a, it is that back to that thing about having a relationship um, with our producers, you know, we're not just business partners, um, as some of our team who work in the food department, like Justin Purser, who's our coffee man, will tell you, these are his friends, you know, he's been over and visited them multiple times um, over the years. Unfortunately, you know, with the pandemic, we haven't been able to go over and visit them, which is what we normally do. Our people would go over every few years and visit our producer partners and stay with them for a while and, and um, you know, help them design new products, um, just see what's happening in their communities and, and what more we can do and um, what they need from us. Um, yeah, so um, I think the impact is, um, is all about conversation. Um, it's all about um, actually talking to the people that we work with and understanding, um, you know, what's going on with them, um, what's working, what's not, and um, and how we as an organisation on the other side of the world um, can can help them, um, you know, to improve their lives and, and create better impact for them in their communities. I kind of feel a bit funny asking you the question because I already knew the answer. And for <laughs> the, you know, 20 or so years I've known about Trade Aid, um, I've always been blown away by the impact of what you do and it's so funny that you know there's this new movement towards impact but this is your this is your business every day yeah totally has, this is, yeah yep and it has been for a long time so you guys actually have paved the way for this movement of um, impactful investment and impactful retail and I just admire that so much how do you capture and share the story of the impact yeah, that's that's always a, um, that's always an interesting question, and it can be a bit of a challenge. Um, I think we've adapted over the years. I mean, primarily in the early days, um, uh, the way of um, communicating those stories was through our stores, through our through our volunteers, through our through our team, our family, to actually just talk to customers and say, "Hey, do you know that this this product is made by Paul the Jute Works? Um, here's a little bit about what they do and how they help their their community." Um, and we also have a, 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 the, the other big side of what we do is education. So we're a social enterprise. So we, we go out to the community and talk to community groups, so churches, school groups, work groups, um, anyone that wants to listen, basically. And so we have a, an amazing array of educators that go out and do that work. Um, and so that's another big way of, of sharing those stories. Through the pandemic, of course, that has changed and um, we haven't been doing that as much. And the other big way that we've adapted now is just using social media as a tool. Um, it was something that, you know, um, other people were doing before us and we weren't necessarily hadn't jumped on it at, at that time but um now that's become another big part of what we do and i'm um, sharing those stories but i think still for me it goes back to we want people to come into the store we want people to experience our beautiful products to touch them to feel them to smell them <clears throat> and then you know we can have that conversation with them and say hey um yeah thank you for buying this product this is, this is a little bit about um who you're helping and and what they do in their community and making that connection it's kind of a bit like a a walk back into history where we lived in communities where there was the basket weaver, there was the carver, there was, you know, and it's, I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think that, you know, when I when I think to the future, that's the kind of future I'd like to see as a step back into that connection to, uh, to the products that we make, to we know who made the basket, we know who, you know, made the jersey, whatever. So... Do you do you see kind of a, a movement back towards that time, or are we just too far away from that now? Oh no, I think I definitely see a movement towards that. I think um, I think it was happening before the pandemic um, to to a degree, um, particularly through a lot of younger people um, who are coming through and who. You know, um, although you know, there's a lot of technology and stuff like that out there, um, there's also a lot of desire to kind of, yeah, to 
to do something positive and find ways to do something like that. The idea of, you know, creativity and things and reconnecting with those simple things in life, like making a basket, baking, those things came about during the pandemic. I think, you know, um, just the amount of, you know, flour that disappeared off shelves showed you that people were actually at home making bread. Um, I can remember as a kid growing up, my mum was a cane weaver and I'd always go to have a bath. And I'd go, mum, why is cane in the bath again? You know, soaking in the bath um, and that kind of thing. And um, there's more, I've noticed there's more of those workshops happening now um, in our community in Waitati. We've, um, at the school has just um, created a ceramic studio and the community is just um, in love with it. You know, they're going um, and just being creative, connecting with that kind of side of things. Um, and I think, you know, yeah, I think, and our, and our customers in the store, um, yeah, we've definitely seen people who we haven't seen before wanting to, um, you know, buy stuff that is handmade and handcrafted that's not mass produced um, and where they know that, um, you know, there's some real care gone into it. And also, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's the big thing. It, it is, there, is a, there is a rise of that. And I think it's a really positive thing. We just have to keep the momentum going. That's the challenge, I guess. Um, it's easy to slip back and go back into the, I'll just buy buy that from the $2 shop or, you know, I can't be bothered spending the time to make something. Um, whereas the reward for making something and, and doing something with your hands and, and doing that with other people and being creative is just is, is wonderful, so powerful. Do you think that, you know, you talked before about your mum and, and being a basket weaver. Did that set you up for this? That being a, with a mum who was creative and was connected to things she was making? Yeah, I guess I haven't really thought about that before, but probably I would say, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, mum was very creative in that sense. Um, and dad was, a, you know, a home handyman. He was always wanted to do things at home himself. And so he'd be around banging on things and, you know, sawing things and bits and pieces. So, yeah, and I was, you know, I was able to go out there and, and do that with him, you know, as a five-year-old banging hammers into, you know, nails into pieces of wood and things like that. I think, um, yeah, it probably is part of part of the creativity side and, and why I, I do what I do and you know, my love of um, things handcrafted and, and, you know, have a big love also for things that are reused and repurposed. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, I think you're probably right. It probably does um, sit inside me somewhere. Oh, well, that, that was good work by your parents. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> how, do we, how do we get our kids um, with that? How do we enable that mindset in our kids? So, you know, we're in this generation of, oh, it's broken, throw it out. How yep. do we get that connection back to product um, where we want to fix it or we want to repurpose it, reuse it? Um, I think sometimes it sounds like a big challenge, but I think it's actually pretty simple. It's just, you know, as parents and as, as family, as educators and things, it's just a matter of, um, of, of um, engaging them and showing them, you know, what, how that works and, and, and how simple it actually can be. Um, and also, and I think, you know, disconnecting from the digital world um, is really, really important. So I think even if, you know, your kids are on, on screens and things like that, if you can dedicate a day or an afternoon or just, you know, disconnect yourself, um, go outside, um, you know, say, you know, fix things, you know, find something in the house and go have that conversation. Do you think we can fix this? Okay. Yeah, William, what do you think would happen if, if we took this to the rubbish? Where would that go? Um, have that conversation and go, is there an alternative? Can we maybe go to a repair cafe? Or can, have we got a friend that has that skill who maybe to fix that for us? Or should we learn it ourselves? Um, yeah, so I think in, in that regards, it's, um, it's actually, it can be quite simple. Um, just, you know, making those choices and having those conversations and um, opening those doors.
Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope, wherever you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together has proven to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique and here making things better. Thank you. Now I know that for us all the last two and a half years have been very tough and we've had to employ so many new strategies, so many different ways of doing, being, seeing, feeling. And we have done this individually and we have done this collectively. And for all of us, I know this has taken its toll. And it's so important at this time and at all times to be compassionate and caring for one another, to give one another the love and support that we all need and to find ways to share and communicate how we're feeling and what we really would benefit from. So of course for me being part of the show is hugely beneficial and just the very simple act of spending five minutes recalibrating and gathering my thoughts, gathering my various experiences together hoping that they can be of assistance to you all is a wonderful pleasure and privilege for me and I'm so grateful to Sam and the whole Blown Bubbles team and all of you for having me thank you I'm just currently adventuring on the road that is my oldest road the road out to Otago Peninsula and I was very lucky to live in Broad Bay and Portobello at different times in my life and then when I began working at Orokunui Eco Sanctuary, my heart's home workplace, which of course is on the other side of the harbour, I moved closer. But I love every time I come out here to see my whanau and I'm driving along this winding beautiful road by the sea and I see the sunset see the stars, I see all the lights from people's houses, I see the other cars, I see the new cycleway being built which is very exciting and all of these things give me a great sense of hope and connection and of course a wonderful, beautiful phenomenon that we do see is that success breeds hope and when we can find ways every day to celebrate even our very small successes this helps grow our sense of hope and our sense of a positive bright future awaiting us and of course it's important for all of us to be kind to ourselves to the point where we really celebrate all the things that we do in our daily life that we are alive that we have a body that we have a consciousness that we can breathe 
that we can reflect back on our life and learn from it, that we can appreciate it, that we can travel through time and space to wherever we want to go with our imagination and that we can feel such rich emotions and we can allow these emotions to sit with us as honored guests and then transform and move on and of course all of this is easier said than done but when we do have the opportunity to remember these helpful strategies it can make all the difference in the world I've been very honored to share my day-to-day with some very special people from my family and my friends and just speaking with them and hearing their experiences has helped me immeasurably to remember all these gifts that we share. So I hope you have had a wonderful day wherever you are and whatever's happening around you and you can enjoy celebrating your successes in each moment and I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Dean Griffiths of the Trade Aid Shop in the centre of town. Dean, what would it take for all of trade to be fair? Or are we so far away from that it's just not possible? Um, we'll take a big shift. I think the big shift um, in that regard would be probably from the, the government side of things. You know, um, yeah, and... The other side of it, I guess, is is as consumers, you know, um, realizing the power that we have um, to to push companies to to change the way that they do things. Um, I think that's often underestimated, and um, there's been you know quite a lot of examples I can think of. I think the the Dole banana one was a good one for me, where suddenly Dole bananas had an ethical choice sticker on their on their bananas, and so um, you know we sort of challenged Dole and went, "What's that about?" And um, they basically couldn't answer that question. Um, and and you know, and so the pressure for that was they removed that label. Um, so that's one way the pressure works is holding companies to account, and then the other one is um, just pushing companies to do better and, and be more transparent. I think is one of the biggest things. Um, companies often don't tell the story of where their products come from. Um, so uh, recently we teamed up with um, uh, uh, World Vision to um, try and get a law abroad into New Zealand which um, bans modern slavery and supply chains Um, and surprisingly we're one of the only countries in the Western world that doesn't have one of those laws and what that would mean is that um, businesses would have to be transparent about where the goods come from if they're brought in from overseas and then as consumers and as customers you would know um, whether that's maybe a, a bad things are happening, good things are happening, and then you've got choice. You can make choice between who you choose from because you know what businesses are doing and you know where the goods are coming from. So, yeah, I think that kind of thing um, is, a, is a step forward. There's a sort of strange relationship with that sort of badging, isn't there? There's that, that the equivalent of greenwash. I don't know what you call it. Is there a fair trade wash? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There definitely is, uh, yeah, there definitely is a bit of that going around. Because in some ways that's a terrible thing, but also can that be used as leverage to actually make change? Because you can say, okay, clearly you've got this aspiration, now let's deliver on it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, that, exactly, yeah. And I think that's um, coffee is a good one, that fair trade coffee is a good one for that. Um, there's a lot of different labels around around fair trade coffee, I mean coffee, you know, from uh, direct trade, um, independent trade, um, uh, uh, Rainforest Alliance. So you know, there's there's lots of different things. As consumers, it can be a bit like, well, okay, hold on, what what what, what does that mean? Um, and as you say, um, when you investigate, when you challenge those things, um, you know, then you find out how 
how um, a good a, a good a thing it is actually is, or you know how far it goes. And um, yeah, I think definitely it can it can use it as an advantage because um, you know as an organisation like us, you know we're completely transparent and, and we're really proud of that. And if more businesses were transparent, I think um, you know, and we're doing good things, then certainly customers would um, I think would adopt those those businesses. It's a bit of a mindset shift, I think, that for so long we've been preaching buy less stuff. But if we can consider that this stuff is regenerative, is having a positive impact, then actually we yep. do want to buy it. And it, for, for those of us that have been in that sort of sustainability space, as we move to regenerative, as we move to a positive impact, we do have to reconsider those things. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, yes. Yeah, you know, when you've got a choice to buy something and, um, and you know, and then you investigate all of those aspects and, you know, so for instance, you know, uh, buying something that's made from used materials or recycled materials and, and stuff that will biodegrade and, and you know, um, yeah, I think it's um it's a good thing. And I think, you know, the mindset change is, um you know, mindset changes can take a long time and um, they don't necessarily happen quickly. So I think it's a matter of just, um you know, keeping up the story, keeping up the noise a bit um, around those issues and um, and hopefully, you know, more and more people will, will switch and in particular younger generation. Um, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of hope there for, for the younger people coming through, um, you know, through the different movements that we've seen, um, you know, um, spearheaded by young people around the environment and some sustainability that, um, yeah, I think um, that's really encouraging. And, and, you know, also those young people can and educate our older people um, as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, um, that's, that's a hopeful thing. Do you see innovation in the products that you have coming through or is it are people wanting a, this is the stuff that you get from trade aid and if, if it started to migrate into more innovative stuff, people go, well, that's not what I came here for. Oh yeah, definitely. I think um, I think the design aspect of what we do, and you know, um, and that has changed over the years. Um, we still have all our traditional craft, you know, the, the things you would associate with a particular country or a particular culture. We still have those primary things that we'll always sell. Um, but alongside that, um, we have a craft team that works with our our partners to develop new and innovative products. Um, because you know, um, uh, you know, our, our supplier, our partner in um, say. Um, uh, you know, Bangladesh doesn't know what New Zealand is like. They don't know what what sort of styles um, they're into, what things are popular, and so that's the chart. That's where that conversation, that partnership, really comes together, and we're able to work with them and use their skills, their traditional skills, um, to be innovative and create new products. Particularly using you know recycled materials, reused materials, um, innovating with that and that kind of space is something that we've um, really um, sort of um, grown um, now. And um, yeah, really proud of the um, the new products that we have. You know, yeah, um, it's good. Is that where you're seeing that innovation continuing? Is that is that where you're seeing the things happening? More of that recycled and, and full cycle? Yeah, I think so. More of the recycled and, you know, yeah, and more of that um, that kind of stuff. And also just the more use of, of natural materials. You know, primarily everything that we make is made from natural materials, but it's exploring what other natural materials can be used alongside what they use already. Um, so I think those two spaces are, are really promising um, in terms of, you know, new designs and um and designs that um you know um have the have that that handmade crafted um you know love to them but are also practical and usable and and stuff that you know you can actually um use in your everyday life and and, and enjoy what's the coolest thing you've got in the shop at the moment 
Oh, um, <laughs> that, geez, that's a, that's a really difficult question. Um, I'm really liking the new dog range, our pet range. Um, we, we did something we ventured into just recently um, through sort of customer request asking us, you know, um, if you've got anything for our pets. So we have these um, amazing little bow ties from and um, dog collars from our partner Upavim in Guatemala, which is all um, hand-loomed um, material and um, little dog bones filled with scraps of um, cotton and things like that. So I think that's, um, that's pretty exciting for me. I'm really enjoying that new product. Let's take the second of your music choices, kind of the opposite of what we were just saying. NXS, yep. don't change. Ah, this one. Yeah, so this, this goes back to my time in um, the Northern Territory. When I was about 20 years old, I went over to Australia with a friend and um, I lived in the Northern Territory for um, a number of months. Um, uh, and during that time, I just got exposed to Australian music. And um, yeah, this song, I don't know what it was about this song, but I heard it um, one night in the bar, uh, really loud. I just loved it. It just was, it was a feel-good song. It had a really good beat. Um, and it just captured that time, my time in the Outback. Um, you know, it was a really um, special time for me, you know, experiencing that that part of the world. Um, it had its negative sides too. I also experienced um, um you know, direct racism for the first time. Um, so that was a big eye-opener for me. Um, and, it, you know, in meeting Aboriginal communities and um, things like that. So it just captures that time for me. And, um, yeah, I, I just love it.
Dean, we have seen lots of change in society over the last couple of years. What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? Ah, what do I hope will stick? Um, togetherness, um, community, um, I think those are the two big things, I think, for me. Um, you know, I'm really lucky that I live in this place called Waitedi, um, just um, north of Dunedin, and it's a community that is just, um, you know, really together and organises events, looks after each other, um, you know, and I think if that sort of togetherness and that community spirit can can stay and grow, um, I think that will, will help us um, get through any sort of battle that we have in the future, whether it's COVID or, you know, environmentally related or, um, yeah, anything. I think just um, coming together, uh, understanding each other, being tolerant and understanding of our differences and, and um, you know, embracing um, tangata whenua and, and our Māori side. Um, I think, you know, it was really exciting to have our Matariki holiday uh, for the first time. So, you know, um, yeah, I think we can... We can bring that togetherness too between um, Māori and non-Māori and, and, and that would be really wonderful. Do you think that there are any lessons that we can take from the pandemic for the bigger sorts of questions that we face? I'm thinking of things like climate change, social injustice on the, the larger scale. Oh, yeah, I think, you know, um, I think it's, it's easier to sit back and, and think about climate change and, and, and think it's just too far away or it's, you know, I'm just too scared to think about um, and I think um, the, the whole COVID pandemic really highlighted, um, you know, um, how how climate change really is impacting us and, and how it can turn around, you know, the amount of um, uh, less noise pollution, the amount of less pollution, you know, with no cars on the roads and things like that was um, was astonishing. And I think that shocked a lot of people and made them really understand that, you know, those things and those impacts are real. Um, and that if you if you flip those around and COVID wasn't able to do that, you can see where it can go the other direction and, and be a good thing. So, um, yeah, I think COVID, COVID definitely taught us a few lessons in that regard. I have some questions to end the show with. What's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Uh, biggest success that I've had in the last couple of years? Um, I would say it's probably just seeing my teenage son grow up and become a young man um, as a parent. Um, you know, um, that's something I'm, I'm really proud of. You know, he's now learning to drive. Um, he's doing a Bristol course and, you know, very soon he's going to be going out to the world and, and putting his mark on the world and following his, his path. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of, um, of who he's become. We're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What's your superpower? What got you into the mansion? <laughs> my superpower um uh empathy maybe <laughs> that probably goes back to my my buddhist background i think um yeah i think empathy just being um you know li- being able to listen to people and understand and, and and hear their stories and understand where they're coming from do you consider yourself to be an activist yeah i probably still am an activist i have a i have a long activist history um back with students who are free to bet and um save animals from exploitation and things like that over the years as i've gotten older um I think my activism has turned into um, more of uh, the role that I'm in now, working with trade aid. Um, and I think the activism side of my myself now is not so much going out and protesting, but it's having conversations with people, talking to people and challenging people on um, certain views and, and not holding back when someone's saying something racist or intolerant um, on the bus or something like that. I think that's where my activism probably um, is more, more sitting now. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Uh, people, yeah, just people, you know, um, 
my, my family, of course, um, definitely, and um, and the job that I do, and um, the friends that I have, and the community I live in, um, and just you know, um, seeing that the amazing things that people are doing, you know, it's often easy to get caught up in all the the drudgery and the negative stuff and the horrible stuff that's going on. Um, but sometimes all we need to do is just look at your door or just go have a conversation with your neighbour and realise that there's um there's good things happening, there's good people out there, and um you know, and if we come together, um you know, we, we can we can do some amazing stuff. And what challenge or opportunity are you looking forward to in the next year or so? Uh, well, actually, I'm looking forward to challenging myself creatively, probably. Um, yeah, just um, doing the ceramics course lately has been a, a bit of a sort of a, a jump back into that creative sphere. And um, I've done a bit of work in the past um, with my I had a product design degree from Otago Polytechnic, and I used to make um, lamps out of speakers and things like that. So it's kind of reignited my desire to, um, yeah, to explore that creative side again and, and challenge myself to um, to yeah to make some stuff and um and reuse some stuff and, and just yeah get, get back into that creative creative space that sounds fun and lastly do you have any advice for our listeners oh um advice um yeah i think just just listen be kind to each other um you know um learn you know if, if uh, intolerance and, and racism and things like that is um is a thing that sort of uh, it can be a real challenge but sometimes it's about learning about other cultures and just listening and understanding and um i would say um yeah challenge yourself to to um you know to do that to um explore um other cultures and explore um other people's views and um and have those conversations and um yeah i think that that, that goes a long way to to helping us have better communities and um and um kinder communities and you didn't even say, come and buy something from the trade aid shop. <laughs> That's true, I didn't. So- <laughs> no, but you can, of course you can do that. And not only us, you know, you can also go and um, go and support local and, you know, buy organic and, and you know, buy secondhand. You know, I love Dunedin, uh, Dunedin's op shops. It's one of my big passions as well as wandering around lunchtime and exploring our op shops. So, yeah, there's lots of things like that that you can do, definitely. And we can still get to your shop, even though it's got roadworks outside? You can you can yeah so it can be a, it's a little bit noisy but um there's totally pedestrian access and um there's still car parking um you know the car parking buildings around and it's only for another few couple of months and then it will um will hopefully have an amazing pedestrian space outside which is um for us is um pretty exciting and a bit more greenery and um yeah less less cars um so I think that's a that's a good thing. We look forward to that, Mawera. Then um it's a great thing you do. Uh, giving the opportunity for people to share their wares, their skills, their knowledge, some of that handed down generation after generation, and uh, and it ensures that those skills aren't lost, um, and it, it values those skills and that knowledge and gives people the opportunity to live a good life. Um, but I love that it also reminds us here that we don't have to buy plastic stuff from the warehouse. We actually, you know, we can engage in our own creative processes. We can bring back those old skills that our parents had and, and the parents before them. And um, so the work that you do is just so important on so many levels. And I just want to say thank you for doing that. Thanks for the commitment that you make to making change in the world. Kia ora. Oh, kia ora. Thank you. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Deeply, deeply about the curve you got. Deeply hot, hot for the curve you got. Deeply, deeply about the fun we had. Deeply mad, mad for the fun we had. Oh, my love, I can't make head nor tail of passion. Oh, my love, let me.
You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is right, said Fred, a deeply dippy. I'm Samuel Manon Sawyer's Bay Dunedin with Moira Karatai in Fakatani and in central Dunedin in the trade aid shop. We've been joined by Dean Griffiths. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. Marty Wa. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.